0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Keep It Quirky. I am thrilled you're here. If you're joining again, thank you so much for coming back. If this is your first time, hi. Welcome. My name is Katie Quinn. I make food and travel videos. I have a journalism background and I went to culinary school in Paris. I'm the author of the Avocados Cookbook. If you can't tell, I'm really into food. I love video and media and writing and inspiration and being creative and kind of fueling life with that creative energy. I am a believer in following passions and actualizing dreams. And that's pretty much what this podcast is all about. In each episode, I talk with fellow creative entrepreneurs who inspire me. And the reason I interview them for this podcast is with the hopes that they will inspire you too. I listen to so many podcasts. Um, it is a source of not just vague inspiration, but actually uh, change some of my daily routines. A random example of this, one of my all-time favorite podcasts is The Splendid Table hosted by Francis Lam, who is an incredible food writer and editor and And one of his favorite podcasts, which he has mentioned on the show and also interviewed the hosts of, is the New York Times podcast called Still Processing, hosted by Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris. And in one of those episodes, Jenna mentioned her comfrey salve and how she's gotten really into it and how she'll like rub it on her muscles and joints and that it eases them. And so I got it too. So Jenna, if you're listening... Thank you. And indirectly, thank you, Francis Lamb. Anyway, I just am super into the whole podcast situation. I love it sharing thoughts and ideas and connecting people. And that is why I am now posting a weekly podcast episode on top of my weekly YouTube videos. By the way, my YouTube channel, if you're not familiar, is QKD, the letter Q, K A T I E. Check it out if you haven't already. And so, let me share one of my favorite things that I do every single morning um, with the hopes that it might tickle your fancy as Jenna's comfrey self <laughs> tickled mine. Um, every morning I get up and I boil water. And I combine that with juice from half a lemon, coconut oil, I would say, I don't know, maybe half a teaspoon. There's really no recipe for this. And I put some um, ginger over a microplane grater. I get some ginger pulp in there as well. Necessary hat tip here. My buddy Margaret told me about this. And um, yeah, thank you, Margaret, because it's become such a go-to for me. It is the best way to start a day. I'm telling you, try it. And I think that it will change your mornings as has changed mine. Also, I love a mug of something warm in my hands. I used to just go straight to coffee and I often still do that a bit later, but it's nice to start the day. It eases me into my day a bit more. And for someone who tends to jump out of bed, like with a head full of steam, it's actually nice to take a chill moment breathe, and collect myself before I just like jump straight into a project. Speaking of waking up early, I have just conquered jet lag. I came back from a 10-day trip to China just recently, and it feels so darn good to sleep the whole night. China was amazing. I am obsessed with that culture's food. The regional cuisines, I mean, I'm gonna need to get my hands on all of Fuchsia Dunlop's books stat. The noodles, the cold Xi'an noodles were maybe my favorite. With that, it's called a roja It's It literally translates to meat sandwich. Take that, dip it, in the sauce from the Xi'an cold noodles. And I'm telling you, I dream of that combination. Also, I'm just a noodles girl, so like give me noodles anywhere and chances are I will love them. Another hat tip, my buddies Jake and Tom live in China and have lived in China for a long time. So they were so epic at pointing out the things that we had to order and that we had to eat while in China. I feel like not a meal was missed. Speaking of cuisines all around the world, are you familiar with Iraqi cuisine? I really was not familiar until I moved to London and went to an Iraqi pop-up by chef Philip Juma, who you'll hear later in this episode, Phil describes Iraqi cuisine as kind of like Middle East meets Indian. It's like comfort food, but also interesting and just absolutely lip-smackingly delicious. Phil is incredible. As you'll hear, he left a career in finance to just dive headfirst into this dream and passion he had for food and cooking. And now he has his own business and he's kicking butt. And I'm not even going to keep talking because I just want you guys Guys to meet him. All right, so I'll jump right into our interview together. I hope you enjoy it and welcome Phil to the podcast. So,
1: um, Juma Kitchen, what is it? It's a um, supper club pop up concept that was a vehicle to bring Iraqi cuisine to the masses. Um, I'm a self-taught chef. I've been cooking for the last 10 years, but since uh, 2012 was the first pop-up for Juma Kitchen. Ever since then, I've been kind of cooking my way around London, bringing Iraqi cuisine to the people and... It's it's just been an amazing journey.
0: Phil has his hands in a lot of different things, and he is not just a chef, he's also a writer, and he does workshops, and he has his pop-ups. But this was not always your path. Mm-hmm. You've always loved to cook, but uh, what did you... What was your journey? <sighs>
1: yeah, so... Um... I studied economics for business at university and um, up at Leeds, great, great times. And then following that, I did the whole, I guess, normal route of making making my family happy, right? Just going straight into a financial job. You should have heard my dad, how proud he was, telling all the Iraqis, my son works in a bank and this and that. And for me, it was just... It was, it was the path at the time that I thought, you know, was right for me, but underneath I I wasn't happy and I really felt that there was more to, I guess, my life than just a Monday to Friday working in, you know, a stockbroking firm or a, or a wealth management firm or wherever I was at the time and, yeah, ethics and values were being challenged on a daily basis and, I guess food was my release like weekends I'd spend kind of working in kitchens voluntarily working on street food stalls because at that time London was street food crazy and still is yeah I just thought I don't want to do this anymore I want to I want to get involved in food so that I guess that transition for five to six years in finance it made me realize you know following what you love and doing what you love is is more important than any money or any paycheck
0: that takes a lot of courage to make that leap. Was there um, a pivot, a pivoting moment for you? Um,
1: it's hard to sort of pinpoint exactly. I think, I think I was on, I guess, somewhat of a you could say spiritual journey at the time. Like, you know, my my values were being kind of questioned and I was really like looking at myself of like, you know, how am I contributing here? And, you know, the financial world at the time was really going through hell. Like it was the, it was the downturn and there was like rogue traders and it was all just a complete mess and a bit of a circus. And with that consistently kind of like playing on my mind, and also maybe looking at some of you know my peers who were in the food world and working with people on on street food stalls and being around this like energy of of London on, on a very much a front line with 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 the, with the street vendors. I just yeah it was just a case of I want I want this and I want I want to be part of this movement and I I guess that you know having having Iraqi roots. I knew there was such a space in this whole scene for Iraqi cuisine to be there because the food that my dad, you know, cooked and I brought—I was brought up eating—it was just incredible. Like the spices, the flavors, the look of it, and just the whole, the whole essence of the cuisine. I just thought, yeah, I've, this is me. I've got, I've got to put this on the map.
0: So then, what made you? decide that the way you were going to put that on the map was to actually start your own business. I mean, you you decided you wanted to be a chef, but you didn't stop there. You you founded Juma Kitchen in 2012. That's six years ago now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um wow. so what was what was that like deciding I'm going to now not just be a chef but also a businessman?
1: Yeah, it was it was so tough. I look back now and it <laughs> it is it's a leap of faith you know and yeah when i when i when i kind of like i'm a, i'm actually picturing the conversation i had to my dad telling him i'm leaving you know the finance world to become you know to start my own thing and you know his i guess his reaction was was fearful right you know it wasn't it wasn't as as positive or supportive as I would have liked, but
0: I think that's a typical parent response yeah, yeah, right?
1: yeah i I totally get that and respect that you know they want job security and they want consistency for their for their for their for their loved ones and uh, yeah I just you just you just got you sometimes you just gotta go for it and you know that this whole cliche of we well, are yeah, we we're only here once and I guess the passion and drive that I had for kind of doing this was was just enough to get me you know to where I am today and you know for anyone who's who's on the fence in life I would I would just say categorically just do it (laughs) you know take the leap of faith reach out reach out to me I'll be happy to share more detail my story and, and give you the the kick up the backside that we all sometimes need in life right and um yeah so it was it was really tough don't get me wrong and some really like even now like you know there are some tough moments and you know real kind of you question everything but um, it's just, as we were discussing, it's all about action, and the more action we do and the more we just get on the court of life... (sighs) That's when it all all falls into place.
0: Yeah, when he says, as we were just discussing, it's all about action. That was referencing a uh, pre podcast recording conversation that he. No, no, I I just thought I would just do a brief explanation. Um, But yeah, it it does all come down to action, especially um, when you are an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. because no one else is going to do it except for you. So you were the first and only. Iraqi pop up in London. Do you still hold that title?
1: No, it's um, it's quite lovely actually to see. There's been a lot of other Iraqi chefs that have, have come out, and other other regions of the Middle East that weren't that were lesser known than the you know the normal standard Lebanese, um, and that's just yeah, that's just amazing to see that you know the 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 cuisine. Is recognised as its own, and it has its own identity. And um, you know, a fellow fellow chef, Summer, who she's been doing incredible Iraqi cuisine, and 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 it's great to see her doing her thing. And on across the across the pond, um, a. Uh, uh, instagram account add a little lemon she was um she's been doing amazing things and i think she yeah she was around before i was so but in london yeah it's been it's been quiet it's been quite i guess quiet on the iraqi cuisine <laughs> front before before i kind of did my thing and i really hope more and more people you know put you know put their own versions because it similar to indian similar to vietnam vietnam similar to other Regions which is rich in food and culture. I'm from the north, we're in Mosul, so that's the what we call Maslawi cuisine that kind of version of, of of cooking techniques and spices that we use is going to be different to the south. So it's just for me it's just amazing when I do speak to people, you know, they'll they'll have a little bit of a moan and say why not do why don't you put it put this spice in your in your kubatama, for example and you know, I'd say I wasn't brought up having that spice in there, but you know, and their version is different. So it's just I get so much out of like listening to people's kind of you know, from their region, how the dishes translate for them compared to me. And I think it's great if we just see more people kind of come into the forefront with 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 the regional cuisine of Iraq that they're used to, because it's just all educational and it's all, you know, amazing, basically.
0: Give me some examples of spices and ingredients frequently used in Iraqi cuisine. So um, for that particular
1: example, it was dried lime, um, other, otherwise known as numi Basra, and um really like pungent beautiful kind of like aroma and and delicate kind of spice to to many stews are quite popular in iranian food but spices yeah so we're talking black pepper is heavily used um cloves cardamom cinnamon coriander so a lot of the usual suspects f- found in indian cooking and um you know I guess mixing that with the with the this Indian kind of injection mixed with the Middle East you know vibe that's kind of how I describe Iraqi cuisine to people, because many people have never tried it. I don't know what it is. So, you know, it's, it's more like a Middle East meets India cuisine, which is really, really exciting.
0: That's a really fun way to describe it. Um, I had the pleasure of going to one of your dinners yeah. a couple of months ago. It was so, so delicious. And um, it was different. The The ingredients that you put together and the dishes were markedly different than mm. things I'd had before but they weren't so unusual that i couldn't wrap my mind around their deliciousness in other words my tongue didn't freak out at what was happening my tongue was just like this is an awesome thing happening
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> what, what's the response you get from from most people who are not familiar with iraqi cuisine and people who are
1: yeah it's as you so eloquently put it it's not like crazy too far out there that you're kind of like blown away with like what is this it's more I think the textures like I don't know if you remember the dumpling dish in the tomato sauce with turnips
0: I couldn't forget it
1: yeah that that one's just a real I love serving people that because I know they've never tried that before and that texture but they would be familiar with the flavors so that's really exciting for me um the the potato cake that for example that we started off with as an appetizer I did that with a date and tamarind sauce and a, and a cured egg yolk and you know that is no way traditional for Iraqis and a lot of the old school Iraqis that that do come they'd see an egg yolk on a plate and think like no nah, I'm not I'm not I'm not eating that I'm not having that right so it gets mixed it gets mixed reviews I'm I'm really cautious and 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 loyal in the sense that I don't wanna to come too far away from the heritage and the, the 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 values of a dish that people are like, I don't get it, or you know, this actually isn't what you're saying it is. Um I really want to stay true to the kind of traditions. and But if there's a way of adding more texture, more colour, more flavour, then I'm all for that as well. So that's kind of my standpoint on the, on the classics.
0: You talk about how you do... The classics you incorporate traditional things but it's not always 100% what someone's grandma made in the house yeah. and you you describe that as contemporary Iraqi right
1: yeah yeah I'd like to say it's like you know and even seasonal you know seasonal foods so you know the, the last um, time I was using like wild garlic you know amazing ingredient found found here that it's just so lovely when it comes in season I couldn't help not incorporating that into a rice dish or into a stew you know so the seasons as well dictate that
0: yeah I love that you're using what you have at hand as well you're not 100% a hundred percent Iraqi. You no. are English, Irish, yeah, Iraqi. Yeah. So,
1: I'm born in London, in Wimbledon, Southwest London, and um, my mum's side. She's born in 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 England, and my nana Irish. So and a big Irish community on her side. The Irish love big families, <laughs> and similar to the Iraqis, dad dad's Iraqi, and again big big part of a big family. So yeah, a really nice like mix of of cultures and. It's quite funny, though. Like, the more people I speak to about the Iraqi-Irish connection, it's more common than than, than, than we think. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite, <laughs> it's quite a thing. So, um, yeah, very interesting.
0: And so how has that confluence of cultures and cuisines, how does that take shape um, or take form in your cooking? How does it help shape your cooking?
1: Yeah, it's, it helps a lot because... London, being born here and just growing up in London you know yourself kind of the scene here the restaurant scene is just the incredible you know the, the, we've come a long way as well right and and just the the, the suppliers as well of ingredients are just getting better and better and, and, and more sustainable and it's just great to be part of that you know Iraqi cuisine can be quite lamb focused and meat heavy which is all well and good but again I don't want to kind of just have a menu of all of just meat because we're in London and it just wouldn't work like that you know people are crying out for you know we know what's going on with vegetarianism and veganism and you know it's really important to cater to to all of that and, and not shut them out so yeah within that it's a real kind of it's a real I guess pleasure and influence into my cooking and also you know being self-taught there isn't really like I guess conditions or parameters it's it's more free for me so you know if I was maybe taught brought up as a classic French chef or, or whatever you know I'm sure my style of cuisine would go a separate way but being self-taught, I just feel as though the shackles are off and it's like, I can just do what I want. So it's great great to have that freedom.
0: Totally, and beyond the food you're cooking, I think it also has um, broader... Implications in that um, you are creating your own path. You started creating your own path from the very beginning. Um, you decided not to go to culinary school. Was that ever a consideration?
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. To this day, you know, as, as a cook, as a chef, you know, I have a reoccurring, you know, dialogue of, you know, am I good enough? You know, mm-hmm. I need to be better. I need, you know, this, this whole thing. And that's what... That's what drives me as well, right? And and you know, cooking school was definitely something I considered, but the price of it was uh, was enough to just say no quite (laughs) quite confidently and calmly because it yeah it's quite expensive and you know I was speaking to a lot of mentors and chefs at the time and they just said listen you're, you're gonna you're gonna your school is just here in the restaurants go out there pick up from as much people as you can and you know it will fall into place so you know there are obviously limitations that some basics i haven't mastered like they would in 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 cookery cookery schools but at the same time the experience that I have got is so diverse. It, it really allows me to uh, to really inject some life into a lot of my cooking.
0: Yeah, you've got the real-world experience, which, yeah. yeah, arguably is more important. And in the connections you've made, and so let's talk about some of um, the, the restaurants where you have cooked, um, most notably, of course, because I love him and his cookbooks but you had a stint at Otolenghi's Nopi yeah, yeah, yeah. and and what else so tell me about that and where else you've worked in restaurants yeah so
1: um Sammy is is has been a real kind of I guess friend and mentor to me Otolenghi's right-hand man he's really given he give me some sound advice and I can, I can pick up the phone to him you know when when I need to and it was a case of me just saying yeah I really want to really want to kind of work in your kitchens and learn more and at the time um, head chef Scully was there and it was incredible, incredible to work with Scully really really like yeah just an incredible chef and you know i wish him all the best he's he's leaving nope he's left nope now and he's opening his own restaurant quite soon so look out for that one um i can't wait to go and yeah other restaurants i had an old friend who was a official photographer for the the gordon Ramsay group and she got me a little stint at the savoy and also Maze, and again really really enjoyable stages there and just kind of like a lot of other like bistro brunch pub places that were doing quite classic cooking and seasonal cooking so it's it's quite quite a mix you know and but it, it you know i recommend working in kitchens to anyone they're the most unique places you can you can work and you know anyone who is a passionate cook or passionate foodie just do it like you know speak to your local restaurant go to a maybe don't don't go maybe don't go right into a saturday night service <laughs> but start with like a wednesday and just go and do it they're, they're the most incredible kind of places like chefs that just work so hard but you know you've got to have a passion for it and you know it's it's a real kind of it's a real experience and and you know it opens you up to a whole different whole different level of i guess respect for you know the the true cooks that, that are out there because it is it's it's amazing what they do.
0: How does a restaurant kitchen differ from your kitchen when you are um, the chef for your pop-ups? That's a tough one. I'm, I'm to describe
1: myself as my style of cooking and as a chef. I feel as though I'm very calm, collected, and. And very approachable in the kitchen. Um, I really like, I really like having a, a team around me that we have a lot of fun and we just, you know, we really get the job done. Um, don't get me wrong; it's not all kind of you know hyper happy, happy high fives and skipping around. It can be really, you know, intense and stressful at times. But it's just important that for me whoever I have alongside me they're really clear on what I stand for and what I'm about and it it pretty much in a nutshell is it's all about the customer like you need to we need to get ourselves out of the way the egos and everything else chip on our shoulders get left at the front door and we just we're here for them yeah. and I will not kind of yeah i wouldn't sacrifice anything for for a plate of food to go out substandard and that's just my standards and it does it is my enemy as well because you can work yourself up too much and you, you can have this internal battle of just perfection 24 7 which actually isn't realistic but you know every plate of food is judged this is the sort of world we live in in restaurants and food so it's like it's up to us to kind of really strive for that perfection and lucky for me I've got some amazing people that I can call upon to help me out um, and, and to kind of come on board and they enjoy it too which is just so important for me you know not only are they learning about a cuisine that they know that's like little about to begin with but also hopefully the vibe that we create on services is, is really important comparing that to the restaurant you know again you know restaurant menus that you know i'm a pop-up i just do a set menu of five courses normally restaurants have probably you know 12 different starters some of them 12 different mains and five desserts and all sorts of things going on so the pressure is a lot more intense and from an organizational point of view it's it has to be so on point because often kitchens you don't have the space and luxury that you think you do and you just that means everything has to be so organized so i'd say they're the main the main differences
0: yeah those are pretty significant differences yeah are your customers like Uh, can you kind of describe the demographic of people who find their way to juma kitchen
1: so i'll actually tell you a bit of a a journey that is the kind of demographic has changed over the years so to begin with back in 2012 it was just predominantly western kind of foodies coming through the door who were just interested and open to trying something new um And organically, through kind of, like, the stuff that I've been doing and and my reach going wider and wider, the Iraqi community is really, like, on board and and they're really, really supporting me in such a beautiful way because you know they're they're a tough bunch to please i'm (laughs) gonna gonna say honestly you know they're real they're real tough tough bunch but you know they're all my friends there's so much love there as well every time i you know at the end of a pop-up and i go and say hello and thank everyone and get everyone's feedback on on the food you know more and more like the iraqis are are there in full effect and that's beautiful like I love that and um so yeah now what started like I don't know 90% westerners 10% middle eastern it's now 50-50 sometimes more yeah. middle eastern and iraqi so yeah that's awesome
0: yeah it's, it is awesome and I um sat next to some young iraqis who live in london yeah, yeah. um when I went to your dinner and it was really awesome. I think that my conversations with them was, it was a real highlight of the evening. I think I enjoyed it like really just as much as your incredible fooders, the two things together that made it such a memorable experience. Um, and yeah, I I really enjoyed that you brought us together.
1: (laughs) No, that's so lovely. And it's so, it's so funny because I've done a few pop-ups now where, where people kind of like, they almost get, they almost get like, you know, I don't know what the word is, surprised or fascinated that, oh, yeah, I sat next to an Iraqi. And it's like this whole thing of like, you know, we own, they own, maybe they only know Iraq through the media or through as a concept almost. And it's not until maybe you just share dinner with someone that, number one, you, you get educated. They tell you a whole kind of a whole, you know, uh, list of things that maybe you didn't know about the country and Iraqis are just lovely people. Like, I'm not just saying it, they're just such beautiful souls and, you know, the interesting thing I find is, yeah, when I just speak to people who, who again, are just totally kind of going there open-minded, not at all kind of knowing what to expect, they sometimes leave with more than just a nice full belly and that's that's something quite special about the pop-ups.
0: What would you say is your mission for doing this, for doing what you do? Do you have like a, um, I don't know, company mission in your head that that drives you? Yeah, it's not as set in stone, but the primary
1: mission is to just feed people this incredible cuisine and really give it the recognition it deserves and, and and to put it out there in a very kind of palatable and 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 modern way. And I guess secondary to that is to allow Iraqis to to show that, you know, we have got so much to offer. And just you know again looking back at some of the journey that I've been on I get so many emails from people just just thanking me for what I do. And it is, it is all, you know, obviously Iraqis doing that and they're just sort of letting me know that, that, you know, thank you for finally someone's doing this with our cuisine. Like finally someone's representing us in, in the right way. And and I know that that's, that's so special for me, but I, 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 when I read that, I get that maybe I'm potentially empowering them as well. If they're seeing it happen, there's no reason that whatever they're good at you know, can thrive and to, 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 to not be, um, in the shadows. It needs to be, you know, put, put out there. So, you know, that's a secondary kind of layer to all this that I find so like lovely and just drives me all the time.
0: That's really powerful. Mm. How do you reach people? people to let them know that you're doing this would you say that social media is a really important part of what you yeah.
1: do i definitely feel social media has been a been a massive um, attribute to juma like growing to, to 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 where we are today um instagram especially it's, it's not until you get on there that number one you discover other Iraqis that are doing their thing and then you know it leads to like really nice conversations and maybe you know sharing or collab collaborations um but also just you know food everyone loves a good foodie foodie shot right foodie foodie photography so you know the, the social media platforms like Facebook Instagram Twitter have you yeah, know really provided me a step up in this whole world and it's um yeah it's amazing that it's done that
0: as a business person i know you have to think strategically about stuff like this um as a creative you're like that's a whole nother side of your business and you are coming up with what you're gonna make and all that stuff in both the business aspect and the creative aspect how do you get unstuck
1: such a great question because i do get stuck often and I think it's just about reaching out to people you know get get out of your head number one and just really kind of like just ring up people that are either fellow entrepreneurs or just people who know me very well and would just slap me out of it and say shut up look what you've achieved look where you're going you know just 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 keep moving so that's really important and, and something that I want to take on this year is is to surround myself so much more with with that energy and that and that vibe because it definitely bounces off you and it gives you the the impetus and the energy to just be like you know, take yourself to a whole different level that you didn't know was there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's 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 how I do it.
0: Yeah, that's so great. I think you hit on such a truth in that we can be our own biggest obstacle. 100%. Finding ways to get yourself out of the way um, can be pretty key in growing. With the name of this podcast and my slogan is keep it quirky. <laughs> yeah. What I mean by that really is the thinking to kind of be be a little more like lighthearted, don't take life and and yourself so seriously, and of course I'm talking to myself as I as I say this. Oh, um, because problem. I think all I think all driven motivated people like we can kind of get in this spiral sometimes um, that is not productive and it doesn't cause for our happiness. It just really fosters creativity to stay curious and, and to remain a little lighter. So with that being said, that? how do you keep it quirky?
1: Um. I love that, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's about just you know we got to drop the significance. Um, how do I keep it quirky? Um, I'm part of a, I'm part of a, a like a a community of um, of of I guess coaches in in life. So they kind of like definitely uh, allow me to, to 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 give me access to things that I can't maybe I'm not seeing and again it's probably due about around perfection and trying to just get it right I want to get it right so badly but in the end it's like that can stop you as well because if you might not think you're getting it right then you might not even do anything at all so you know again it comes down to surrounding myself with the right people um, and just maybe you know visiting my gran and just seeing (laughs) her blessed 96 year old self and just thinking. God, like what you know, we're we're all we're all going this way anyway, right? So it's just like let's enjoy it. Hell yeah! <laughs> let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy the ride while while we're here. So, you know, they're the kind of things, and I think sometimes getting out of London it really helps, right? Because both know how how intense it's a love hate relationship at times with London. So it's um. You know, it's really important sometimes just to, yeah, to really kind of come away and just think, OK, cool. I'm ready to go back now and, and to, to, to do this. So, And to surround ourselves with amazing podcasts like this <laughs> and just remind us to keep it quirky, basically.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, tell everyone how and where they can find you.
1: OK, so it's all it's everything is at Juma Kitchen
0: nice i like the i like the consistency they're making it easy on us all right guys so check him out phil thank you so much again it's a real pleasure having you
1: pleasure and thank you so much for having me
0: i hope you guys enjoyed that episode phil is such a great dude so glad that we've connected since i've moved here to london with my YouTube videos I get a lot of immediate feedback, right? Comments and tweets, I get retweets, likes, all of that stuff. It's it's a very instantaneous reaction. I know exactly how my content is being received. With podcasts, so this is the 5th, 6th episode now. That's really been a bit of a learning curve for me is like I don't know how to gauge whether you guys are into the content I'm doing. I really hope you are. I find it really fulfilling, but please let me know. Let's continue this conversation. After- after the podcast ends, drop me a note on Twitter or Instagram at QKD. That's the letter Q-K-A-T-I-E. Again, on Twitter and Instagram, same thing. Shout at me. Let me know what you think. Uh, if you want a deeper dive into any of these things, feel free to shoot me an email too. Keepitquirkypodcast at gmail.com. I would really love to hear from you. And that is a standing invitation. And as always, the theme song music is from my incredibly talented musician brother Brian Quinn aka Funky Brian thanks for dropping down the beats for this bro and yeah my name's Katie Quinn I record and edit this podcast and I make videos and thank you very much for tuning in to this episode of the Keep It Quirky podcast I will see you back here next week and don't forget you know what I'm going to say, right? Don't forget to keep it quirky. Oh, and last thing, sorry, did you think the episode was over? Um, Just to please, if you like this podcast, leave a review on the iTunes store. It makes a big old difference. And if you're listening this far into the podcast, I'm hoping that you really liked it. Uh, So please do that. Um, It helps other people discover in the sea of podcasts. Thanks, guys. Peace out. See you next week.